Baptist Church, do you know how blessed you are? Maybe not. (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you how blessed you are. I was sitting over there singing and looked up here, and there were four gifted musicians playing with the congregation, and then a full choir on a Sunday night. Uh, You just do not, trust me when I say this, you don't find that many places. And it's a blessing when you have good talent like this that the Lord has blessed you with. And every now and then, uh, you need to go to your music people and tell them how thankful you are for them. I saw a little sign in a restaurant one time. Uh, It was over in Sykeston, Missouri. It's the place where they throw the rose. Any of you ever been over there to Lambert's Cafe, I think it's called? A little sign on the wall, and they always had a live piano player in there. And she had a little sign up above her piano that said, Kiss the player because she has to play while everybody else dances. Well, I'm not saying you need to kiss anybody tonight. But every now and then, I would encourage you just to go to the people that provide good music leadership in this church and tell them how much they, using their talents for the glory of God, really does bless you. I love all types of music. I don't know about you, but I I like contemporary music. I like uh, the old classical things and all in between. I like... uh, Contemporary Christian, Southern Gospel, Bluegrass, I like it all. If it's done well and played to the glory of God and sang to the glory of God, I just like it. Uh, So I can worship in a lot of different places regardless of style. That doesn't bother me. Uh, But I'm just thankful when you have good people that are leading and using their talents for the Lord. I remember a few years ago on a Sunday morning, I was speaking in one of the largest Baptist churches in our state and was there with with hundreds of people that had a full orchestra. I mean, every instrument imaginable, a choir, a praise team out leading the singing. And then that night, I was down at a country church in our neighboring county over in Lincoln County, and they didn't have a musician in the church. So just a guy standing up with a hymnal in his hand, leading us to sing a cappella. And you know what? I worshiped that morning, and I worshiped that evening. You know, it doesn't matter. The Bible says that we ought to make a joyful noise to the Lord. For a lot of us, that's all we can do, right? So we're thankful that it's there. But I tell you, it sure is a blessing to have good worship leadership. And so... Those of you that do that, that really won't cost you a thing. I'm just giving that to you from my heart. Laying all jokes aside, I mean every word of that very sincerely. If you have a copy of the Word of God, let me encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of James in the New Testament and find chapter 4. The book of James, chapter 4. In just a few moments, I'm going to read verse 13 down through verse 17, and talk to you tonight about three characteristics of foolish living. Three characteristics of foolish living. While you're turning to the book of James, I would inform or remind you that quite likely you're turning to the oldest written book 
in the New Testament. Most New Testament scholars uh, really believe that the book of James was written in about 45 A.D., which means it predates the Gospels. And you know who the author is. It's the half-brother of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who had become a leader in the church there in Jerusalem. And I, for one, really do love the book of James, although it can get under my skin. (laughs) Because the book of James is like the old-fashioned Baptist preacher that just told it like it was. And that's what James does throughout his book here. He just tells it like it is, and he helps us understand that faith is not just something that is intangible and hangs out in the abstract, but that faith is real. And I hope you know that tonight. We talked about it uh, earlier this morning. The day will come when our faith will become sight, and it will be more real than ever before on that day. But faith is real tonight. Do you know that? Nod your head like this. Faith is real. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.1 1, says that it is the substance of things that we've hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are unseen. So faith is real. It's substance. It's evidence. And here's what James is trying to teach us all through this book of the Bible. Faith ought to be more than something that gives us a certain feeling, but faith ought to absolutely change the way that you and I live our lives. And so that's why James writes and he says that, you know, you can show me your faith however you want to, but I'll show you mine by my works. He's not saying, just understand this, James is never implying that we become Christians or become saved people because of works, nor is he teaching us that we maintain salvation through our works, but he's just saying this, faith changes the way we live our lives. And we talked about this last Wednesday night. If faith that we say we have, that we say we believe, if it's not changing the way we act and react around other people, then it's at that point, were what? Hypocrites. And so here in chapter 4, he talks to us uh, about the way we make plans. And beloved, the way you and I make plans and the way we order our lives, the way we decide what we're going to do and not going to do, really does show the people around us whether or not we're living by faith. In fact, he mentions three things here that I'll expose to you tonight, that if we participate in these things, we're not living by faith, but we're living very foolishly. So let's read our passage, James chapter 4, beginning verse 13. James writes and he says, Go to now, in other words, come now, come and listen to me. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, shall we shall live and do this or do that. In other words, Lord willing, if it's God's will, we'll do this or we'll do that. Verse 16, he writes, But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Father, thank you again for our moments of worship. And thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to freely gathered together tonight, and entertain your word. I pray, Father, that your word would move in our hearts tonight and help us uh, not to be like the man that James describes here in his book, the one who looks at his image in a mirror and turns around and forgets that image. But Lord, as we look into the mirror of your word May it challenge us, may it teach us, may it cause us to be people who really do live out our faith and not those who live foolishly. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little boy, we used to tease one another, that would be my cousins and I, and we would call each other a fool. Now, Mamaw wouldn't have that. If Mamaw heard us call one another a fool, she would say, you've got to quit that because if you keep doing that, you're going to go to hell. And she meant that sincerely. And she took that from what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if we call any man fool, we will be in danger of hell fire. Now, let me be very clear, I don't know that Mamaw really understood what Jesus was saying there, but I do appreciate this about my Mamaw, she believed the Bible, you know, and so she did not want us to do anything that contradicted what the Word of God said. Of course, Jesus was teaching us that it's never our prerogative to judge someone and look at someone the way that only God can do. You see, we can only see what someone does, but we don't understand his or her motives, right? Uh, That's something that's in the heart, and only God knows, and only God can see, and so that's why Jesus taught us to call no man fool. But we had a little problem because Papaw loved to watch Samford and Son. <laughs> Y'all remember that, don't you? I keep going old time with, with some of you, and I know some of the younger people are looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. I promise you, you can go home and Google that too. Just type in Sanford, S-A-N-F-O-R-D, and Son, and probably on YouTube somewhere you'll find an old episode of that sitcom from back in the 70s and 80s. Well, Pap loved that. 
And every now and then, when you were watching Sanford and Son, Aunt Esther, how many of you remember Aunt Esther? Aunt Esther would step into the scenario, and Aunt Esther would look at Fred Sanford, her brother-in-law, and say, Fred, you fish-eyed fool. You remember that. Well, Mamaw didn't want to say that, but then Papa would turn on the television, and often we would hear it. Here's the thing, my friends. We really shouldn't call someone a fool, but we can observe what someone does in his or her life, and we can think about what we even do in our interactions, and we can pronounce those things at least as foolish. We do a lot of foolish things. The psalmist says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. I want you to think about that. That's the Word of God. The psalmist clearly says that if someone says that there is no God, I'm not calling that person a fool, but the Bible is calling that person a fool. Now I could talk to you for the next two hours about why it takes someone at least thinking very foolishly to think that there's no God. I'll summarize it like this. God has given us two types of revelation. We have general revelation, and then we have specific revelation. Now what's general revelation? That's just the ways that God has generally revealed Himself to all people. And as Paul writes in the book of Romans, uh, even the foolish people that haven't had access to the things of God, they can observe in nature, for instance, that there is a God. Have you ever thought about the fact that here are you and I tonight on a rock called the earth that is spinning on its axes, and as it's spinning... It's also moving in a revolution around the sun. Now think about that. And we're a part of a Milky Way galaxy, and it's not only us that's doing this, but there are other planets and other stars that are doing the same thing. Now, my friend, when you think about that, that all of this is out there, and... Things don't collide into one another. But in perfect harmony, we make these revolutions with one another around the sun. Let me just ask you tonight, who but God? Who but God could do something like that? I mean, think about your body and how your body, according to Scripture, is so wonderfully made. Some of you are saying, well, you've not looked at me, Brother Allen. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you right now, and I'm saying to you, according to the Word of God, you're wonderfully made. Now, we're fallen, and because of the fall, there are maladies, and we have problems, but we are wonderfully made. I mean, just one little thing in our body can get 
uh, out of balance and all of a sudden we can become very ill, very sick people because God has made us uh, very intricately and that in itself is a testimony to the existence of God. And so there's general revelation. And through general revelation, we can say, yes, there is a God. But God has given us more than general revelation. He's given us specific revelation. And friends, right here is God's specific revelation to you and to me. You see, what we know specifically about God, we know from God's Word. Aren't you thankful for the Bible? You ought to be. That's the name of your congregation. You ought to be thankful for the Bible because it's God's perfect gift for you and for me to tell us everything specifically that we need to know about Him. Now, everything about God is not recorded in this book. Volumes, multiplied volumes of books couldn't record everything there is about God. God is infinite. If we could get God in a box, and if we could put down everything there is to know about God, then He would cease to be God. He wouldn't be infinite at that point. But He has specifically told us what we need to know about Him what we need to know about our lives, how we need to relate to Him. He's given us all that information in His Word. And so no wonder the psalmist writes and says, the the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now what do we call someone who believes there's no God? An atheist. Theism is the belief in God and the things of God, then you put the negative in front of it. Atheism uh, negates theism, which again just is someone saying that I don't believe in God. But here's what I want you to know tonight. There are philosophical atheists. Those are people who won't let their own minds get out of their way. And so they philosophically try to study things, never forget this, belief in God is a walk of faith. (laughs) You know, it's a walk of faith, believing in uh, what you and I can't see right now, what we can't touch right now. And so the philosophical atheist says, well, I just don't have enough revelation, I don't understand enough, And so there's a lot of bad things that happen. And if bad things like wars and and deaths of people and all of this stuff, if that happens, how in the world can there be a good God? hear that a lot. That's a philosophical atheist. But listen to me closely. Not only do you have philosophical atheists, but you also have practical atheists. And sometimes... Listen very closely. The pews of our churches are filled with practical atheists. Let me explain. The philosophical atheist says, I can't believe in a God, but the practical atheist, while he or she might give lip service 
to a God. They live their lives as if there is no God. My friends, we live our lives under the gaze of God. We used to sing the little Sunday school song, uh, Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little mouth, what you taste. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so you be careful about those things that you do. Listen, if you say that you believe in God, but then you turn around and you live your life and you make your decisions as if there is no God, at the end of the day, what's the difference between you and the philosophical atheist? Not really a lot. So the practical atheist lives his or her life very foolishly. And that's what James does in these very few verses of Scripture. He gives us three identifiers, three characteristics of foolish living. And and let me say this, I I don't want you um, to be overly alarmed tonight, sometimes you have full belief in God and through most of your decisions, your actions, reactions, and interactions, you allow the Lord and His Holy Spirit to shape those things, but every now and then the best of us can get away from considering the will of God in our lives. And that's when we get in trouble. When you start making decisions, when I start planning steps with disregard to the will of God, that's when I'm living my life like the practical atheist and I can get into a whole lot of trouble. So I know on a Sunday night like this, we're sort of the frozen chosen, right? You know, we're out on a Sunday night when a lot of people aren't and that kind of thing. And, and I know we believe and I know we want to live lives that are led by the Holy Spirit. But be careful about these three things that James brings forward in this text of Scripture. Three characteristics of foolish living. Number one is presumption. Presumption. Notice again, what he says in verse 13 of the text. Go to now, or come now, come and listen to me, is what James is saying there. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. I want you to notice with me that James gives us this hypothetical person who is carrying out his life, and he presumes on seemingly everything. Notice that he presumed on when he was going to go to this new place. He said, today or tomorrow we will go. He was just sure. 
If I don't get there today, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and I will get to this place where I'm going. Notice he presumed about when. And then notice he presumes about where. He says, I will go into such and such a town. You can kind of use your imagination, and this person obviously is wanting to get gain, so he's wanting to make money, and so he's done all the forecasts, he's applied the analyses, and he says, this will be the very best place I can go and make some money. And so he just presumes that he's going to go to this town, and then Notice that number three, he presumes that somebody else is going with him. So he presumes on when, he presumes on where, he presumes on who, who's going to go with him because he uses the plural there. He doesn't just say, I will go, but he says, we will go. We will go into such and such a town and we're going to spend a year there, we'll trade and we'll make a profit. So, James goes over all of those details in this hypothetical situation just to show us that when we live our lives with presumption, we're living our lives very foolishly. Notice how he lowers the boom in verse 14. He says, whereas you really don't know what shall be on the morrow. In other words, you don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. And my, oh my, isn't that true? Haven't your life experiences up to this point in your life, haven't they proved that that is the unmitigated truth? You know, today has been a beautiful, glorious, wonderful day. Sun shining perfect temperatures outside, or at least for me they were. If they've not been perfect for you, you can be wrong. That's all right. But it's been a beautiful day. Most of us have been relatively healthy today. We've worshipped together. We've learned together. We've been inspired together. But tomorrow could be a very different day. And and listen to me, I I don't mean for one moment to bring you into my world. I, I don't mean to do that. But I think I understand this more than I ever have before. I've told you before. On March the 31st, as I was sitting in the coffee shop down in Alabama reflecting on a message I had planned to preach the next morning. Andrew texted me, said, Dad, we're about to go out and start warming up. And I texted him back and said, go get him. Thirty minutes later, my world turned upside down. Beloved, it just happens. It's life. The truth of the matter is, life will always be that way until we get home. So whatever today has been for you, tomorrow may be completely different. 
And so James writes and he says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. And he goes a step further and he says this, you don't even know that for you there will be a tomorrow. Because he asks that question. For what is your life? It's a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. Have you all seen that vape shop out on 461? Can you believe that? I don't know if it's clever or sacrilege. But out here on 461... Coming in toward Mount Vernon, right there on the right, I I have to look every time I pass. I remember the first time I looked over there and I saw the sign. I said, what? I almost ran off the road because I couldn't keep my eyes off the sign. James 414 shop. And I guess they're somewhat clever if it's not sacrilege. And you know what it is. I mean, it's a vape shop. And... The message they're conveying is what James is saying here, that life is a vapor. Well, I don't know who owns that shop. Maybe some of you do. But that person needs to know that that is not what James is talking about. Y'all do know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you have seen that sign out there on 461? All right. Life is a vapor. It's here for a moment, James says, and then it vanishes, it goes away. Uh, The best way to understand a vapor is what you and I will experience really in just a few weeks from now when it starts getting cool enough and we walk outside and we inhale and we exhale there for a moment. If we're in the light, you can see your breath, right? It's the vapor. Vapor that comes from the moisture in your body and you see it. And when you do that outside on a cold night, let me ask you, how long is that vapor there? Just for a moment and then it dissipates. You'll remember that, I hope. I I think about honestly, the first time I see the vapor every late fall or early winter when I go outside, I think about this particular verse of Scripture. Because James is so rich in this illustration. He says that's what your life is like. It's it's like when you exhale on a cool night and the light is shining just the right way and you see that vapor, it's here for just a moment and then boom, all of a sudden it's gone. It's passed away. That's exactly how life is. It's here a moment, it's gone the next, so we don't even know. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, and we don't even know, James says here, if we'll even be alive tomorrow. Listen to a couple or three verses from the Old Testament. First Chronicles 29.15 says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners, As all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. Job says in Job 7, verse 7, My life is like a breath. 
Maybe that's where James is picking up on that idea from the words of Job. The psalmist says in Psalm 102, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Came out to church on a Sunday night to be encouraged, and I can tell by looking at your long faces that I've done my job. I'm just telling you the truth. And we might as well giggle about it. And we might as well make the most of it. Because hear me tonight. I'm not telling you, this is not teaching us that life is like the old hee-haw song. Gloom, doom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, you remember it. That's That's not at all what he is teaching us. Listen, if you take this lesson tonight and it makes you mope around and look like the hogs jumped out and ate your little brother, you don't understand what James is trying to teach. It's not about, you know, moping around and long in the face and poor old pitiful me because my life is like a vapor. No, what he's teaching us here is that we ought to live in the moment. And if there's anything we ought to do, we ought to do it in the moment because we cannot presume. Presumption is a characteristic of foolish living. So he says in verse 15, For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. Reminds me of the story of the man who (laughs) was riding his mule And he rode across his neighbor's property, and the neighbor stopped him. He hadn't seen his friend in a while and said, Neighbor, what are you doing riding your mule across my property? He said, Well, I'm just cutting through, and I'm going to cut through the next farmer's field because the next farm beyond that, the farmer there has bought this mule, and I'm going to take it over there and give him this mule, and I'm going to collect my money. And then I'm going to go home and the guy stopped him and said, you know what, I thought better of you than that. You shouldn't say that. You should say, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to take this mule over there and I'm going to sell it to the neighbor over there and collect my funds if it's the Lord's will. And then if it's the Lord's will, I'll go back home. The man said, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's already a deal. We've already shaken on it. And this man's word is golden, and I know that he's going to buy this mule, and I'll see you when I get back, and I'll be counting my money as I walk across your yard the next time. Well, a few minutes came and went, and sure enough, the man came back, but he wasn't really walking. He was sort of crawling and dragging one of his legs, and he wasn't counting any money. And his neighbor said to him, well, what in the world happened to you? I thought you was going to go sell your mule. And he said, well, I was going to go sell my mule. He said, well, what happened? He said, well, when I cut across your back neighbor back, and when I cut across his field, he didn't take to it very kindly. And I want you to know he shot that mule right out from under me. And as that mule fell to the ground, it rolled over on my leg, died on my leg, and it has crushed my leg. And I think it's broken. He said, well... Friend, what are you going to do now? He said, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to get to the hospital. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, 
It's not like a lucky rabbit's foot. We talked about this past Wednesday night praying in the name of Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just saying that word in Jesus' name, I pray, that authenticates your prayer. It's about the heart. And it's not just about saying if it's the Lord's will, I'll do this and I'll do that. But what does it mean? It means that I'm prayerful. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit's leadership. I'm not just going to presume on my own. I'm really, truly seeking the will of the Lord. And if God wills, I will do this and I will do that. Characteristic of foolish living is presumption. Two more, but they go much more quickly. Number two is pride. Look at verse 16. So about this man that was just going on through life, trying to make money, doing what he wanted to do without consulting the will of the Lord, James writes and he says, But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. If we boast in anything, it only ought to be the Lord and the goodness of the Lord in our lives. Friends, you can't boast. Oh, I mean, you can boast. But you understand this tonight. You're never more like the devil than when you're haughty, when you're proud in the wrong sort of way. Now, there is a godly pride. And I think we ought to have a godly pride about us. I think we ought to take pride in the way we take care of ourselves, the way we live our lives, the way we take care of the blessings that God has given us. I'm not saying that. But if we think we're ten feet tall and bulletproof, and what happens to others can never happen to us, Let me just tell you, God has a way of teaching us a lesson. And so we should never walk through life with that type of ungodly pride because that is a characteristic of foolish living. If you're proud in the wrong way tonight, you ought to repent of that pride. It'll bring you down. The Bible says... That pride goes before what, church? The fall. If you continue to live your life, if I continue to live my life with that type of boasting and pride, thinking that I go through life as Elvis used to sing, doing it my way, if you're doing it your way, you better think again, you need to start doing it God's way. Because pride is foolish and we shouldn't live that way. Let me give you one more. Characteristics of foolish living. Presumption, pride, and then last of all, procrastination. Look at what he writes in verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not... To him, it is sin. Sometimes we get so involved in the urgent that we have no time for the important. 
so busy getting gain, so busy amassing things that we don't take the time to do what's most necessary, and that's walking humbly with God. To do the right thing means that you just have to make the decision. I'm going to stop my foolish living. I'm going to stop presuming. I'm going to stop this game of pride. I'm going to stop procrastinating. I'm just going to do it because, again, Scripture says, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. What do you need to be doing? Maybe there's somebody here tonight and God has called you to do something for His glory. And you keep resisting and you keep putting it off. If God's called you to do it, listen to me, it's the right thing. It's the right thing. Don't procrastinate because not doing the right thing is sin. Is is there someone that you need to be witnessing to. I had a conversation with somebody today who told me about a witnessing encounter this person had. and They told me it just didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And so I just went ahead and I, I witnessed to this person and, and it was terrible. It was, it was just awful. This is what I told the person. I said, you know what? you still did the right thing. And God will reward that. One of the ways over the years that I've taught people about sharing their faith is just a a little, and maybe you've used it here in your church, it's a little way of presenting the gospel that's simply called share Jesus without fear. Bill Fay developed it years ago. And here's what Bill Fay says about evangelism. He says, for the believer, success in evangelism is not necessarily getting that person to accept Christ. You know, in evangelism, when you share the gospel, whether or not that person accepts Christ, that's between him and her and the Lord. You know, so success for you is doing what? Sharing. And once you've shared, you've been successful because it's the right thing. And James says here, if you know to do the right thing and you don't do it, it's sin. We get so caught up in sins of commission. You know what I'm talking about. Sin of commission, it's doing the wrong thing. Anything that we do that Scripture tells us we ought not do, that's sinful, right? That's a sin of commission. We take the Lord's name in vain, that's a sin of commission. If we murder, if we commit adultery, if we do all sorts of things that the Bible talks about, those are sins of commission. But we forget that maybe worse than some of those sins of commission are sins of omission. Not doing what we know to be the right thing.
So we procrastinate. And we say, maybe when I'm a little bolder, maybe when I know a little more, maybe when the right day comes, maybe when the circumstances align themselves, I'll do it. If you know you ought to do it, and it's the right thing, procrastination, waiting, putting it off, that's sinful, and that's a mark of foolish living. So, James encourages us to not just say we're people of faith, but to be people of faith. And to be a person of faith and not live your life as a practical atheist. It means that you're going to quit presuming. It means that you're going to quit with your pride. Stop it. And it means that no longer are you going to procrastinate on doing the right thing. God help us to not live like practical atheists. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? I'm going to pray for you and then uh, our musicians are coming. We're going to sing together a hymn of invitation and I hope you would never feel if I respond publicly to this then everybody's going to judge me. Absolutely not. That's not what we're here for, friends. We're here as a family of faith that undergird one another, that support one another, that pray for one another. It's not that you have to speak to me or anybody else in council, but maybe you just need to come get on your knees before the Lord. Find an altar of prayer. And just tell the Lord that you're sorry for presuming. Ask Him to rid your heart of pride. Ask Him to give you a boldness and an expediency in your life that you don't procrastinate on those good things anymore. Ask Him to help you live your faith. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing, and if you need to come, would you come? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, these, your people. Thank you for the great privilege, Father, of being fed and inspired. And yes, Lord, at times challenged by your word. God, you know that we need it. But Father, more than we just need to listen to it, we need to deeply hear it. And we need to do what you compel us to do. Father, if there's those that need to come and pray or stand there and find the altar in their heart and pray, Father, whatever the need is, I pray that you would have your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing a verse.